Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Well, it uh, feels like a bit of a reunion to be back. Uh, We consider Southeastern family. Um, Seen many former friends and professors already. And uh, and most of all, most specifically, it's a reunion to be back uh, with Dr. and Mrs. Aiken. Uh, Mrs. A was like a, a mother to me while I was here. Um, for six years, Dr. A, I mean, when t- time flies when you're just having such a great time with your intern, uh, like me. Um, and, uh, and, and Dr. Aiken, uh, more, more than a mentor, and you know this, a shining example of Christ-likeness. Uh, I, can, I can share, uh, some people uh, would, would ask me from time to time, well, you know, you're the, the intern to the president. Do you want to be the president of a seminary one day? And I'd kind of laugh to myself for a moment. And then, you know, the, the thought came to me, look, I don't, I don't want his position. I want his heart for Christ. I want his love for his wife. I want his love for the word of God. And I want his love for the nation. And so I pray that God makes me the kind of man that Danny Aiken is and exemplifies um, around here on your campus. Well, this morning I want to speak to you about the uncomfortable subject of pursuing our own comfort. Comfort is the oxygen of our culture. Like a fish that does not consider the presence of water, so often we fail to realize our immersion in a culture of comfort. We wear nice, comfortable shoes. We drive around in nice, comfortable automobiles. We fly in comfortable planes that even feeds our addiction for entertainment while we fly the friendly skies. We enjoy comfort food. We sit down on comfortable furniture. And we take comfortable vacations to bask in an experience of comfort. Just consider the air conditioner for a moment. Uh, Research scientist Stan Cox says this, if India, Indonesia, and Brazil used as much energy per capita for air conditioning as the US, it would require 100% of those countries' electricity supplies plus all of the energy, are you ready for this, generated by Mexico, the UK, Italy, and the continent of Africa. Our preference for comfort is pervasive. Some of you this semester chose professors because you knew it was a clearer path to your comfort. I see you smiling to one another here this morning. And this is, this is my fear. This is where we want to go today. My fear is that our desire for physical comfort deposits within us a desire for spiritual comfort that stifles us from boldly engaging in the mission of God. We cannot sing about the incarnation and the crucifixion of Christ this morning and conclude that there is any such thing 
as comfort zone Christianity. And so that's why I want to turn this morning with you to Hebrews 13 as we consider the outside-in mission of God. Now, you uh, smart seminarians, you know that Hebrews is an extended meditation on the supremacy of Christ and his cross. Many scholars believe it is a brilliant sermon, and I can't argue with that. And this sermon, this exhortation is to Jewish Christians calling them to persevere and not turn back to their former ways in Judaism because they've already experienced the substance of the shadows that, that they once knew. Now they know the substance in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so though we are going to look at the first 16 verses together, I want to take you to the heart of our passage, which is found in verses 9 through 13. So if you would, follow along as I read verses 9 through 13 for us. The writer says this, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. The cross of Christ is the blazing center of the glory of God. And the cross of Christ holds the power to move us beyond our quest for comfort. We are exhorted here to feast on grace, not particular kinds of food that would ever earn us an ounce of acceptance before God. And then the writer draws this typological um, um, comparison between the Day of Atonement and the cross of Christ. He sees both correspondence and heightening when he looks at the sacrifices in both of those places. You see, on the Day of Atonement, priests were instructed to take the sin offering outside the camp and have it burned. And they were burning it outside of the camp because outside of the camp was the place of exclusion, rejection, and shame. And then he looks at Jesus, the true and greater sin offering. And he sees him hanging on a Roman cross outside of the gate of Jerusalem, bearing what? Our rejection, our exclusion, and our shame. You see, he's telling us Jesus went out to bring us in. And that is why the writer of of Hebrews is exhorting us to then also go out. To go out beyond our comfort so that they might be brought in. I want to give you three encouragements here this morning on how we can go beyond our comfort. But go beyond our discomfort to engage in the mission of God. Number one, go out beyond your comfort 
to pursue intense holiness. Go out beyond your comfort to pursue intense holiness. Jesus died to bring us to God. But Jesus died also to set us apart and make us a distinct people. He wants us to make a a people that is holy as God is holy. And so he engages in a flurry of exhortations in the hopes that we would pursue this kind of holiness, share in this kind of holiness, as he says in chapter 12, verse 10. And these these exhortations that we find in verses 1 through 6, they speak particularly to us in our culture and especially to us who aspire to serve God in ministry. He addresses idols that creep up in our hearts consistently. Look at verses 1 through 3. He talks about the idol of self here. He says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And then he says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. So what is, he, what is he saying here? What keeps us from brotherly love and showing hospitality and going to visit those who are mistreated and in prison is, is, is our own sinful desires. And you see, we are never more like God when we take the posture of love, the action of love, because love, the very nature of love, and we see this in the Trinity, the very nature of love is self-giving. It is going beyond ourself for the sake of someone else. And so the first idol we need to crush in order to pursue intense holiness is the idol of self. The second idol we need to crush this morning is the idol of sex. Verse four, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. We celebrate the oneness of marriage when we do not allow anything to taint our affection for our spouse, whether that is our current spouse or possibly a future spouse. And we need to hear this morning that that as the, the, the people at Freedom International say, we are a generation who raises our voice against human trafficking And then we go and consume porn like no other generation before us. They go on to say this, fighting human trafficking and then consuming porn is like protesting a corrupt politician and then donating to his campaign. We need to crush the idol of Self, we need to crush the idol of sex and we need to crush the idol of salary or money. He talks about this in verses five and six. Keep your life free from the love of money. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Listen, I understand we need to put food on the table. I understand we need to pay the bills. But when God blesses us 
because of his presence in our lives. We, we are to be good stewards of that money and then we are to generously give out of a contentment in our heart to those around us in need. We all can, consume, can succumb to this uh, idol of materialism in our culture that is also so pervasive. And so this morning, let me just encourage you from one who's walked a mile in your shoes, a few letters, a couple of degrees on your wall or letters behind your name will not exempt you from these temptations either now or when you leave this institution. They will hinder us from reaching our goal. And and what is our goal? Our goal is Christ. We want to be like him. God wants to produce the miracle of Christ's likeness in us. And you say, well, Tanner, you know, we always talk about we're praying like be like Christ. And, you know, um, well, is that, is that, a, is that are we calling that a miracle? Not, that's what we're calling it. It's a miracle to become like Christ. You see, we are, we are over here. Here we are. And, and Christ is, is, is over here. And God is saying, look, I want you to be like him. Is is this a big deal? Jesus Christ, the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus Christ, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus Christ, the very explanation of the Father. And he's saying, by degrees, you are being transformed into the same image. That, my friends, is miraculous. As unfathomable as it is, God will not relent until he makes that happen. So how do we get there? How do we become like Christ? We become like Christ by feasting on Christ. This is what verses 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 are talking about. We have a superior altar. There is a table that will satisfy our hunger and strengthen us for the journey. You see, God has designed the engine of our heart to run on grace. He wants us to come and feast with anticipation and delight. And so let me just ask you, I know you're reading a lot of books and I know you're in the word, but are you, are you, in, like, are you in the word? Are you hungry for God? Are you willing to skip a meal or two? Like that's still, that's still a call for us as disciples. When's the last time you skipped a meal so that you could feast on Christ? When, when is the last time you were so desperate for God to see the work of God in your life and through your life that you would say, man, I would rather not eat so that I can feast on more of you. I want your work to be so evident, God, that I am willing to do whatever it takes to love you more. If we want to go outside the camp, we better get strong on grace. And from five years as a church planter, I I still feel like I'm a rookie in this thing, 
but from five years as a church planner, I can give you just a couple of warnings uh, today, all right? Number one, uh, ministry has a way of undercutting intimacy. You see, I'm I'm a doer. I'm a pretty ambitious guy, all right? I like to get things done. I like to see things happen. And so ministry idolatry can rise in my heart faster than I can say church attendance. Some of you pastors know exactly why I chose those words. It's so, I, it's so easy to find my identity in what I do for God more than in God himself. It's so easy to start comparing uh, the ministry that God has given us at Redemption Hill to the ministry of those around us instead of just being faithful in what God has placed before us and called us to do. And added to that, um, you will sometimes grow frustrated. Right Here's the second one. You will sometimes grow frustrated with a lack of progress in your people. And so you'll grumble to one another. You know what I'm saying? Man, my people aren't in the word. My, my, my people aren't serious about the mission. They're not putting sin to death. They haven't shared the gospel with anybody. They haven't brought anybody to church to get that attendance up to make me feel better about myself. And and so maybe, maybe the, the, the problem is they're just really doing a very good job with verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Our people, listen, my people at Redemption Hill, they need me to be at my best. They need to see Christ in me. McShane said, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness, and I understand what he's talking about. So we must go out beyond our comfort to pursue intense holiness. Number two, we should go out beyond our comfort to proclaim his unrivaled name. Look at verse 15 with me. He goes on to write this. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Now let's read carefully here. What what do the first three words say? Through him then. The flow matters. Why? Because mission is the product of holiness. If you're asking what does, what does mission have to do with holiness, the answer is everything. Proclaiming his name is not separate from sanctification. It is part of the whole. And I understand, like, well, Tanner, you know, like, isn't this text talking about the fruit of lips, the confesses name, we're singing these songs, isn't that, isn't that what worship's about? Absolutely. But we were just exhorted to go outside of the camp. We are to go out there proclaiming his name, confessing his name. Wherever we are. So if, if you feel like I'm kind of forcing mission on the text, I would say two things. Number one, uh, in verse 12, when we hit the cross, we hit the epicenter of mission, right? So we're already there. But then if you, just, if you could just kind of dream with me, if this text could talk, Dr. Aiken taught me this, all right? If, if this text could talk and we were to ask it, if, if we are forcing mission upon it, I think it would answer back to us, what are you waiting for? I am already there. 
Our sacrifice to God is one of praise, and we are to do so continually. Continually. Those five syllables have the, the, the power to change our cities. It's always game time, and yet so many times I am sitting on the sidelines. I mean, it's one thing to come to Southeastern, to preach a decent sermon in chapel, to get up on Sundays and preach decent sermons. I mean, I mean, it'll make my grandmother proud, Nancy Gordon, you know what I'm saying? I mean, she, she's probably going to watch this at some point. She'll be really proud of me. But... It's one thing to preach a, different, a decent sermon. It's a whole different thing to, to preach a good, good word in my neighborhood with my neighbor who's just cleaning up the trash in the street because he's so meticulous, it drives me crazy. Um, and and so, um, so, 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 so this is what Matt Chandler talked about a couple of years ago at the T4G conference when he said this, if you are a beast in the pulpit but a coward in your neighborhood, something has gone wrong. We all understand there are a lot of barriers to effective evangelism. Some are intellectual, some are social, some are spiritual. We also have these language barriers in Boston. I mean, just just take my sweet wife, Marsha, for example. Um, Oftentimes she struggles to get to Jesus because people can't get past her name, all right? So, so, so she introduces herself. Hi, I'm Marsha. Oh, Masha. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's Marsha. Oh, Marsha. I mean, these, these people are wicked smart, all right? And, and <laughs> wicked smart, and they, they put... R's where they don't belong and drop R's where they do belong. It is absolutely maddening, these barriers to evangelism. But the most maddening barrier of all is the barrier of me. When I can get over myself and when I can love him and when I can love them more than I'm loving me, then the the path is paved for an opportunity to share the gospel. And listen, I, I understand, I, I understand you're, you're seminary students, and, and I get this. When we, when we went to Medford, no one was rolling out the red carpet. Hey, thank you so much for coming. We've been waiting for you. Would you please tell us about Jesus? No one's doing that. No one's saying, oh, you, you're a student of Southeastern. I, I've been waiting to meet a student. Would you please tell me? No one's doing that. But is that going to stop us? from proclaiming Christ to them? Are we going to let a little fear get in the way? Are we going to let a little awkwardness get in the way? I mean, actually, a little awkwardness can make it a, a lot of fun, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just, just capitalize on that. But, but this is what I've learned about, about the gospel. Uh, the, the love of God in Christ causes me to love in such a way where I'm going to love them past what is awkward. Love moves past awkward. It keeps us going because we love them more than we love ourselves. 
And so I want to encourage us. We need to hit our knees about this. We need to pray with one another that God would fill us with courage. I mean, the Apostle Paul, he was a beast in the neighborhood and the pulpit, and he's asking for people to pray for him at the end of Ephesians 6, to be bold, to share Christ with them. F.F. Bruce says this, there outside the camp stood Jesus, calling them to follow him. Inside they felt secure, but Jesus claimed the outside world for himself. Time and again in the history of the people of God, a similar, similar call has come when a new advance must be made into the unknown and unfamiliar to occupy fresh territory under the leadership of Jesus There is nothing static about him or his cause. To stand still is to fall behind him. We ought to be those who are not standing still, but we are following Christ outside the camp so that others might be brought in. I mean, I have a new hashtag for you. Are you ready? Like, I am going... I'm going, I, I, I went, you know what I'm saying? I'm, but how about this? I am, I'm still going, I am going beyond my comfort. Your desire for comfort is keeping you from sharing the gospel with your neighbors and it is keeping me from the same. So we, we, we strive to pursue holiness. We proclaim the unrivaled name of Christ. And then finally, we go out beyond our comfort to perform generous deeds. Check out verse 16, says this. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So it's not, you know, it's it's not word or deeds, it's word and deeds. These are inextricably linked in the person of Christ and they should be in our lives as well. I love the Heidelberg Catechism of 1563. It it asks this question on sanctification. I I love the way it's put. What is the coming to life of the new man? Well, here's what the coming to life, we're becoming more alive in Christ. This is what what it's like. It is wholehearted joy in God. There's feasting on him. And it is a delight to do every kind of good as God wants us to do. There are the sacrifices of good deeds. Now, now listen to this. I know we almost missed verse 14, but, but, but let's come back to verse 14. What does it say there? For here, here's the motivation. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And so what, what happens? What happens when, when we, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, when we offer a cup of cold water to uh, someone in need, what are we doing in that moment? We're telling the story of the city where no one will thirst. When we tell the truth in place of lies, we, we're telling of a city where there will be no more lies. When we, when we love, we're telling the story of a place where hate cannot be found. You see, we're a city within a city. We're, we're portraying the city of God in the city of man. And so let me just ask you this morning, I'm really praying, I'm praying that God would help me preach goods, make my grandmother proud. I mean, that's important, but here was my prayer. God, would you just speak to these people? 
I sat where you sat, man. Boston wasn't on my radar. I thought I was gonna go pastor a church, much like the ones I grew up in, and God starts working through a local church and some professors and a mentor, and, and all of a sudden, there we are. And so could I just invite you to pray a dangerous prayer this morning? In the words of Jeremiah Lanfear, God, what would you have me do? God, what would you have me do? Somebody is going to start a Bible study in the projects. You're going to 20 scheme them. All right, you know what I'm saying? Mez McConnell was here a little bit ago, right? You catch that? Starting a Bible study in the project. Maybe, maybe some of you are going to sign up for a short-term mission trip so you can detox from our culture of comfort for a week or two and go proclaim the unrivaled name of Christ. Some of you are wrestling and you walk by, like I remember, I used to walk by the Great Commission Center and I would just kind of, it would just be kind of haunting me, you know, like God, like overseas, I'll go if you call me to go. And, and some of you are wrestling with that call, maybe to the 1040, maybe to some other country overseas to be a part of the global mission of God. And God's just going to kind of pull you into the center and talk to Scott and Greg and the leadership there uh, to, to explore a call overseas. Uh, who's, he, who's here ready to hit up Sin City? You know, we have some work for you to do in Boston. We can talk about that after chapel. All right. There, there is so much need. How can we stay inside the camp when Christ is calling us to go outside of the camp? Maybe there's a professor at this great institution who would say, you know what, I am willing to uproot my life and the life of my family so that I can go and teach overseas. I know Dr. Aiken would pat you on the back and lift you up as an example here for this, this school. For the joy set before us, we go outside of the camp. And there's nothing better when this happens. Uh, we're seeing this at Redemption Hill in small ways. Uh, one, of our, one of our college students, a, a student at Tufts, she just spent six weeks in India this summer. Now, now Tufts University is, is labeled the brain power triangle of Boston uh, with MIT and Harvard, okay? I would have never gotten accepted to Tufts. Probably most of you wouldn't have either. I'm not hating, just saying. And so, um, so, so, so this, this young lady... She, she could do anything she wants to do, and she could be anyone she wants to be, but she's coming back from six weeks in India, and she's saying, sign me up to go outside the camp, not for six weeks, but for my life. God, what would you have me do? The question for us this morning is this. Will we seek comfort or will we seek the cross? Jesus bids us to go outside of the camp so that they might be brought in. Let's pray together. God, you know our hearts. And so we ask that you would search our hearts. 
Lord, may we not love comfort, may we not love our own lives, but may we gladly give up everything to pursue your cause in this world. Whether we stay or where we get, whether we go, may we be those who move past our comfort to pursue your glorious fame among the nations. Lord, I pray that you would speak specifically whether it's today or this week or a month from now as a student is walking around this campus, God, would you move us to be a people who imitate our crucified Savior and live our lives well out there. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.